My wife Jess and I went to visit the uh, Philadelphia Flower Show last week, uh, which was pretty amazing. Uh, it's this, if you've never been there, it's, there's just all these displays of artistic and uh, you know, floral arrangements, landscaping arrangements, things to show you what you could do at your house, things that you would never be able to pull off on your own. Um, all these beautiful flowers that are entered into competitions where they can win best in class and show and all these things. And uh, it was pretty amazing. But my favorite uh, display was the bonsai trees. Have you ever seen these before? Um, we have a picture one. I'm going to just leave it up here for the sake of the talk today. Um, the, the bonsai trees are incredible there, and to me, they were my favorite part of the, the, flower, the flower show. If you've ever been to Longwood Gardens, they've got an incredible section of them as well. Like, for me, I could spend hours just looking at these things, and I find them fascinating. Like, this is, like, they're true trees, okay, which I know sounds silly to say, but I always saw them and thought, like, oh, well, there's some kind of miniature version of trees, but these are actually junipers or cypress or elm trees or even fruit trees um, that, that if grown in the woods or in an orchard would reach their full potential, like would be a full-sized tree. But these trees are grown very intentionally to be uh, miniature. They're, a master grower takes his or her time with them, pruning them, um, cutting them, shaping them, bending them even using wires. There's wires wrapped around the branches for years trying to get them to take a certain shape. They use these things to prop them up so they can bend them, make it look like going over a cliff and all these fascinating things. They're, they're meticulously pruned and cared for and nurtured. Sometimes they use scissors at the top to cut little branches at a time. They use knives to, to scrape off the bark to make it look like age. Like that didn't just happen. They did that intentionally to smooth it out. They use electric sanders to, to smooth out the edges. Like they break things on purpose to make it look like a true full-size tree, but in miniature form. And they're cared for for years. This tree is estimated to be 800 years old. Like, when I read that, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, 800 years old, passed down from generation to generation of carekeeper, caretaker to caretaker for years caring for these things. And, and the idea of this is somewhat lost on us, uh, people living in this current era. We are used to everything happening fast, to rapid changes, to constant advancements, quick turnaround times on projects. Delays frustrate us. Periods of idleness make us Restless as, as kids, we can't wait until we can get our license to drive. As, as younger people, we can't wait to finish school, to get a job, to then get the promotion, to get to retirement. If we're overweight, we want the quick and easy way out via a pill or some disgusting shake like that, that helps do this so we don't actually have to work. Like Slowing down feels completely unnatural. And if we can shave two minutes off of our commute, we, ha- we have one. Like we are overjoyed. I'm the same way. Uh, We want our food quickly. We want our cars fast. We want the work week over and we want our vacation here now. Like this is how we operate. We just want things done now. We want efficiency. We want speed. We want no hindrances to getting stuff done. And this mentality isn't just part of our cultural lives. It has crept into our, our spiritual and our relational lives as well. We want an efficient, efficient church service that gets over in time so that we can make like, the lunch reservation that we've made, right? Like We, we, we want a time with our friends, but it's got to be quick because the kids have practice. We want to read a book on how to be better parents, and we want it to be over now. We want the kids to be better now. We, we want change to happen quickly. We want to read a passage of Scripture and, and, and have some dynamic thing happen right then. Like immediately, we want to see some miracle, some divine revelation happen. We want to pray and get an answer quickly. 
right? I mean, this is inside of all of us. Now, let's be honest. How many of you wish that you could change something about yourself or, or about the world? Like, think about that. You, there's something about you or the world that you, you wish that you could change. And how many of you wish that you could change it in the snap of your finger? Just immediately change it. Immediately have it resolved. How many of you pray for a solution to your problems and wish that God would just make the problem go away? Just instantaneously, just gone. That'd be the, that'd be the best, right? Fix that relationship right now. Take your sinful habit away right now. End injustice in the world or some, some social justice issue that you care about. Fix it now, and so on. But is this the picture of God we see in Scripture? Does our God work like that? Does God bring about transformation in people's lives quickly? Is there such a thing as an overnight success story in, in the narrative that God writes? The short answer is, not typically. Not typically. Sure, there, there, there's times when God acts dynamically and, and in such a way that stuff happens rapidly, but more often than not, God is slowly and patiently pruning, bending, and molding people over the course of years into the image of Jesus, changing them, changing their heritage, and changing the community and the world, one person, slowly, at a time. So we're going to be looking at a parable today in, in Matthew 13. You don't need to turn there. Uh, I'm just going to kind of tell you the story. Uh, but it's in Matthew 13 if you want to read it this week. It's also found in Luke 13 and in Mark 4 if you want to kind of meditate on these this week or read through them again. But here's the story. Jesus, early in his earthly ministry, is traveling around and he's, he's getting famous and, and people are starting to follow him and he's being heralded as this Messiah-type figure, this Savior that's going to come and set Israel free from their Roman occupation. They've been living as, as kind of slaves in this culture for years and, and Jesus is the one that's going to set the people free. And Israel's been living under this and, and the people of God expected that, that this Savior would come and he would form this rapid coup that would take over the Roman government, throw them out, and set up a new kingdom, set up, reestablish God's kingdom on earth for the sake of Israel. They pictured this, this revolutionary type that would act swiftly. They were waiting for God to come back and set up the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as the New Testament writers call it, set it up on earth and force all nations, God would, God would then force all nations to come and bow the knee to not just him, but also to the Israelites in Jerusalem. But Jesus would challenge this thinking over and over again. In Mark 1, Jesus calls his disciples. It's kind of the first teaching we see in Mark where he calls the disciples and he tells them, he says, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. So repent and believe the good news. Repent meaning change your mind. Think differently and believe this good news. Meaning the kingdom of God is here, he's saying. It is among you already. Stop thinking the way you always have and believe this good news that the kingdom is here. In Luke, he would later say that the kingdom of God is within you, even further pushing their boundaries a little bit on what they thought about the kingdom. He's saying it's within you. See, Jesus was trying to show his disciples that the coming of the kingdom of God on earth as it was in heaven would not be a military coup or some visible kingdom quite yet, but instead would be within people and would influence cultures and kingdoms and families in a much different way, slowly, even subversively. So Jesus, knowing the the desires of people's hearts at this time, knowing their mindsets, would tell them, 
parables or these vivid stories to sort of get their attention, to get them to think differently about things. And, and on one such occasion, Jesus tells them this parable. Like I said, to Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He says, it's, it's like the smallest seed that you plant in your garden. That, that, that after a little while, it starts to grow. And after a long time, it becomes this, the biggest shrub, kind of like a tree in your garden. This little seed becomes this big shrub that, that is big enough that birds of the air can come and rest in it and find shade and, and make their nests in it. So the kingdom's like a mustard seed. And then he goes on and says, the kingdom is, is like yeast that, that gets worked into a batch of dough. Now, yeast is like a rising agent. I didn't know any of this until a couple years ago. My wife started working with sourdough. Like She's telling me about this, that, that it's this rising agent that when mixed with flour, salt, and water causes bread to rise and puff up when it's, when it's cooked. And, and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that when mixed in with the dough, when it gets all mixed in nice and thoroughly, makes the whole batch of dough, changes the, 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 comp, the complex complexity of all of it and changes it into something completely different from the inside out. So what is Jesus saying? I would say he's given us a clear picture of God as one who acts slowly, subversively, and over the course of many seasons to bring about his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And he does it in the lives of people. He does it in families. He does it in churches and communities. So think about this with me for a minute. How does, how does yeast work, right? Yeast is literally a microscopic fungus, okay? It's a microscopic fungus that when mixed with these things starts to consume the sugars that are present in the flour and turn them into carbon dioxide, okay? What's that mean? It causes bubbles, right, that start to come up inside of the dough that causes the bread to rise, to expand, to puff up the way that we like our bread to be. But in a literal sense, yeast is a fungus that causes gas, Okay, like that's, that's what this is, all right? It's, it's Jesus saying that the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven by acting like a fungus that causes gas, right? Like just get that image in your head, okay? Right, okay. So my wife, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about gas now, my wife makes sourdough bread that, that and, and she makes these products on a regular basis. So at any given time, we have like two, three, four starters around our house of this naturally growing, fermenting yeast. If you open it, it smells a little bit like beer. Like it's, it's kind of this funky smell. And, and she uses these to then mix into this fresh batch of dough of flour and salt and water. And voila, like we've got English muffins or we've got some loaf of bread. And I say voila because like I don't do anything. It just shows up like the, the kids are so blessed to have a mother like this who's so talented like this. Like... But she's done this thing where she's worked this yeast into the dough to completely change it. So while the people of God are waiting for this Messiah to come in the form of an explosive coup to bring about a kingdom on earth, Jesus is telling them that the kingdom comes on earth like yeast, like yeast working its way through the dough. It's causing some kind of catalytic change, right? But it's subtle. I would say it's even mysterious. Like, they didn't understand the science of this. It's subversive. It takes time. It also means that the kingdom of God is mixed in with the rest of the dough, so to speak. If the world is the dough and the kingdom of God is the yeast that's being worked in, it means the yeast is small and nearly unseen, but working beneath the surface, causing massive change to come about. A little bubble here, a rising there And the end result over time and through subversion is a changed, an entirely changed batch of dough that has become a beautiful loaf of bread. 
Do you see it, friends? We're, we're so often waiting for God to do these very obvious, explosive type things in the world, and we miss that he's been working below the surface, slowly working something into the culture, into the world, into our lives. He's been working in hidden ways that are only seen after time has been allowed to pass. And other ingredients and things and circumstances have been mixed in to bring it to a visible place. And can I just say this? If, if the kingdom of God is subversive and like yeast being worked into dough, that means two things to me. It means that, that we are called to take part in our culture. We are called to be involved in it. We are called to be in our jobs, in our homes, in our governments, involved in and acting. But we're not pulling for a coup. We're not pulling for some explosive change to happen immediately. It's a slow working in that happens over time. But it also means that we don't isolate. It also means that we don't pull aside and say, well, we're just, we're just going to be a fungus-causing gas over here. Like, no, he's saying you're in the world. You are working the kingdom into the world around you. Now, so often religion will, will highlight these great stories in scripture or even in church settings if you've been in these. And, and they'll say, be like Abraham, who was this dynamic character. Look at this dynamic turnaround in this person's life. It happened amazingly, isn't it? And, 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 but they fail to tell the whole story. They fail to tell about the time it took to lead up to the display of God's power in that person's life. The gospel sets us free to see that the yeast of, of the gospel of the kingdom has been working the whole time, taking its time, influencing the dough. And what goes on display, what people see, is the final work of art. The gospel lets us rest in knowing that God has been working all along to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So the picture of God that we see in this, this parable is, is a God that is subversive, like working below the surface to bring about transformation in us, in our community, and, and all around the world. But he's also slow and patient, not just subversive. In this parable about how the kingdom comes about, Jesus upended their thinking even further by telling them that the kingdom would be like a man planting a small mustard seed in his land that later became the largest plant in their garden, big enough to support even birds coming and resting and nesting in the branches. Like, what the heck does this mean? Why is he telling them this? Well, think about this with me for a bit. Jesus is painting a picture of God as a gardener. Planting a small seed, the smallest of seeds in the ground that grows into a tree in the future. Have you ever met a real farmer? Like, have you ever actually talked to a real farmer? I've known a couple in my life. And aside from being a little bit obscure, okay, the ones that I've known, they've been incredibly patient men. Slow men, slow speech, slow in their actions, just take their time, understand that, that things take a while. They understand that growing something, whether it's vegetables or apple trees or strawberries, takes time. It's a slow process. Fruit trees and vegetables and grains are yearly crops. And if you're lucky, after a year, you get to see some fruit of your work. But you have to wait a year for this, sometimes even more. And what about trees? Like, right, have you ever tried to grow a tree? Like, that is a long process, Right? And people that grow trees professionally know how long it takes. So last year, we, we had this huge tree outside of our house that needed to be taken down. Um, and it, my estimate is that it was probably 80 years old or so. I mean, like it was a giant, massive tree. And I, I hated to take it down. It, it came down while we were on vacation, and we came home to this naked front yard. And like 
We may have literally shed tears and like had a service for the tree because it was like it just completely changed the look of our house. And not to mention the ecological things involved there in my brain, feeling bad for what we had done, but it needed to come down. It was rotting from the inside out. It was going to fall in the house. So we had this thing taken down. And so we're like, all right, what are we going to do? Like we need to plant something else in the front yard that is, you know, a picture of creation and beauty. And so we were like, let's go to a nursery. So we went to some nursery and bought this tree that's already been growing for I don't know how long. Like it's already 12 feet high, big root ball, had a thing delivered, dug a hole, which took forever because of the slate around here. Like I just kept digging and digging. Anyway, we planted this thing and, and there was no way that I was starting from a seed. Like there's no way that I'm starting there and waiting for this. Like I bought this thing for a couple hundred dollars because I wanted a tree that was already starting to grow and healthy. There's no way I was waiting it for it to grow like eight inches a year, okay? But, but God grows his kingdom like that from a seed into a tree. And again, it's, it's not explosive growth that happens overnight. It's nearly unnoticeable in a year that a tree has grown. Yet Jesus is painting a picture of God as a slow, patient Farmer planting a hidden seed in the ground that that he tends to, that he waters, that he grows into a full tree over a long time. Now, you might be a follower of Jesus and and wishing you had some dynamic overnight success story, some instant transformation to take place in your life. But but the picture Jesus is showing us of God is one in which he looks on us and he looks on you and he looks on me and he sees that little gospel seed that's growing inside of you that's growing inside of us, that's growing inside of our church. And, and all of the DNA of that tree is already there. It's already in that, that gospel that's in your heart and in your mind, and he smiles on the growth that he's seeing inside of us. He looks at us and he sees that and he says, that's good, I am happy with that. He, he's satisfied with the little bit of growth at a time. A little bit of growth at a time. And, he, and he, he, he coaxes us upward via the sunshine of his love. And he encourages us to put down roots deeper and deeper into the gospel. And, and he coaxes us up with his love and his grace, calling us to produce fruit someday. So imagine if I looked out my window, from out of my office window, I can see that tree in our front yard. Imagine if I looked out there and that little tree that we planted, and I was disappointed in it, like, how come there's not enough birds in it yet? Chop it down. Like, that would be silly, right? Like we've done this work and we see this thing growing and we notice that it's happening. Like it would be ridiculous if I was frustrated with its growth. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God grows in our lives and in the world in a slow way over years. And he knows what he is doing. And he smiles upon this growth like a farmer looking at a field of newly planted crops, knowing what's coming, knowing what's already growing in the ground. It's going exactly as he planned. So can I say, like, look, are you disappointed as a Christ follower with the growth in your life? Think back. Where were you five years ago? What changes have happened in that amount of time? Ten years ago, when you were a kid, how's your family heritage changed because of the gospel in your life? What fruit of the gospel have you started to see in your own life? Friends, we don't just go from seed to full tree in a year. It doesn't work like that. Religion would tell you to do that and say, get with the program, start producing, you know, get healthy. But the gospel takes time to dig deep roots in our lives and to produce fruit. The world would tell you to go quicker and be more productive and be a better person and fix yourself right now. But the gospel takes time to grow 
mature trees that eventually are big enough to allow others to come and rest in them, to come and find shade and protection in them. Do you see it? So I'm going to push this tree analogy a little bit further. A couple years ago, we went to California, and I've talked about this before. Uh, we went to California, and, and we got to walk through some areas uh, where there were these giant redwood trees. And, and these things are just unbelievably tall and, and humongously wide. Like, they're just unbelievable. Well, there was one that had fallen, and they had taken a chainsaw and cut the end of it square so you could see the rings. And sometimes the rings were really far spread apart so you could see them clearly. Other times they were really compacted in together. It was hard to even count them. Some of these trees were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. Hundreds of years old. And out of the edge, they would put a little pin way out towards the bark that was like Abraham Lincoln's assassination. They would move in a little bit further and it's like American Revolution, like invention of the cotton gin, like all these things you've studied in high school, right? And, and you move further in and then it was like the, the Magna Carta, the, the, the formation of the Roman Catholic Church. The, like on and on as you get like closer and closer into the center, just highlighting the hundreds of years that it took that tree to grow. But the other thing that the rings showed inside of that tree was kind of the history of the tree, the things that it had been through, times of great water supply and great health and growth. It showed times of, of drought or even fire damage that had occurred. It showed that the tree had gone through seasons of change, seasons of growth, seasons of lying dormant, and so on. Friends, this is the way that God works in our lives, growing the kingdom within us and in the world. Again, we always expect that we will just produce and produce and produce and grow and grow and grow. And when we look at the picture of Jesus, that, that, or the picture of God that Jesus paints here in this parable, we see that there are times of slowness. There are times of dryness, times of, of great supply and growth by God. We grow in seasons, friends. We always want to force growth so hard in our American way, but it takes time. And there are seasons of dryness, and there are seasons of great fulfillment where we see great growth happen. But God is over all of it, growing the gospel within you. Again, I would say that religion stands over us and says, get with the program, or join this program, read this book, go to this seminar, and do this and do that, and you'll grow. Look, I'm not saying any of those things are bad, right? Reading books, going to church events, going to reading you know, curriculums and things, that's fine. Maybe it's a, a season of lying fallow for you and you don't need to be involved in those things, right? Like, like maybe God is calling you to rest in some way or maybe God's doing dynamic things and rather than just attending, he's calling you to volunteer and to be involved in something. Or maybe you're going through a tough time in your life in which you feel like you're not hearing from God. You're in a bit of a drought. Every Christ follower goes through that causing us to put deeper roots down into the ground to call on God in ways that we haven't before. But you are still alive. You are still the tree that has this, this gospel DNA with inside of it that is at work in your life. Keep putting your roots down into the gospel and drinking the living water. Or maybe right now you're hearing from the Lord that you need to pray differently or read scripture differently or meditate differently, whatever it is, gather into a community group. That's fantastic. It's a season for growth maybe for you. Maybe you're experiencing God in new ways. Do you see it, friends? Like seasons happen in our lives and it's okay to rest in that. Praise God that he doesn't just force growth out of us and say, grow, 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 all the time you better be growing. He actually calls us through seasons. But the sum total of this is that whatever season you find yourself in, God is still at work 
growing you and growing his kingdom in you and in the community and on the earth. Subversively, slowly, seasonally. He simply calls us to grow in our knowledge of his love and his gospel through various means. To stay faithful to him, not to our own works or production. So maybe it, it does look like prayer for you to find the gospel. Maybe it's diving into scripture. Maybe it's reading a devotional writing. Maybe it's fasting. Maybe it's community. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's painting or journaling. I, I don't know. But keep putting your roots down into the gospel and do not allow religion to tell you you need to be getting this done faster. You need to be producing more. You need to be a better church member. Like, it's baloney. Pursue God. Pursue the gospel and allow it to shape you over time. So what's the result of this? What does it look like if we are a church or a people that live like this? What does it look like in our actual lives? Well, I would argue that we are called to be subversive. Jesus again and again said that we are to subvert the empire through the way that we allow the kingdom to grow in our lives, allowing ourselves to be worked like a rising agent into our workplaces, into our schools, into our families, into our neighborhoods. So often we, we expect the church to be the rising agent in the community, Like the church better have events and programs that change the community. But in reality, it's the kingdom of God rising in each one of us that sends us out on mission into the world, subverting the culture, being a subtle catalytic gas-causing fungus, right, that out in the world that, that causes the bubbles to come up inside of the bread, that changes the entire batch of dough. Sometimes this leads to massive societal shifts and things of justice for the world. But typically, those were brewing for years. Years of people being faithful to subverting the culture with the kingdom. So let's be a subversive, kingdom-minded people who are allowing the gospel to shape us and shape the world around us, predominantly by our love and by our actions. I would argue that we are called to trust the slow work of God in us and through us. We are to lean into it and put down deep roots into the gospel like I've been talking about and to trust that over time the master gardener will make us into exactly the tree that he wants us to be. We don't need to rush it. We don't need to be self-loathing, wishing we were some dynamic, heroic redwood of a Christian. And furthermore, we are not the gardener. I said this in a way last week. We are not the gardener that has to look at the rest of the world telling them to hurry up either. That's God's job. God grows the kingdom in people in the ways and means that he sees fit. We are simply called to love people and help people put down roots into the gospel as well, to grow that seed of the gospel that is inside of them, to help water them and love them the way that God loves and grows us. Finally, friends, we need to recognize that the kingdom of God is one of seasons. Times of dryness, times of trouble, times of great feeding and watering, times of pruning that we really don't like where God is doing work, but always growing up, putting down roots and growing up branches into the world that others can come and find their rest in. Friends, the picture of God that Jesus is painting is a God that is patient and subversive. He, he walked Listen to this. He walked with heroes of the faith for years before we read about them in scripture. Okay? Like God walked with David while he was just a shepherd. Just living his daily life as a shepherd. God walked with Moses while he was fleeing from Egypt and for years tended sheep for his father-in-law. They lived normal lives. Daniel was a young boy that lived in in another empire entirely, day after day, just pursuing God before he ever got into a lion's den. 
Noah was probably just a farmer, and on and on it goes throughout Scripture. We, it's ordinary people living normal lives over the course of years, allowing God to grow them, continuing in their faith while God is pruning them and building them and pouring into them, building the kingdom of God in them and then through them out into the world. This is what it means to be on mission, living out the kingdom. Ordinary lives, acting like yeast that's influencing the entire batch of dough. So for you and me, we can trust that God is slowly building the kingdom in us and through us. And over time, it will change the trajectory of our families. Think about how much it has changed you. What will it be like for your friends and family who come after you? It will influence them in an even deeper way because of what it's doing in you now. So it changes our trajectory. It will influence the culture. Friends, we have the ability to change the valley by being subversive, kingdom-minded Christians who are living out our faith in a subversive way. It will weather the storms and the droughts of life, and, and we become the kind of people that others can then come and rest in the branches or the shade of our lives. This is the power of slow gospel-centered transformation in our lives. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we so often want to rush you. We want to rush transformation in our own lives. We want to rush transformation in the world, in others. And what you're showing here is that the, the kingdom is here, and we celebrate that. That is the gospel. That is the good news that the kingdom is here. God, help us be people who understand that, that faith takes time, that growing the kingdom takes time. Would you help us lean into it? Would you help us understand your love more and more and more and allow it to shape us and change us? Would you help us be people who over time grow, grow bigger and allow others to come and experience the gospel in the branches of our lives? Would you help us be a people who, who are going out into our workplaces, into our families, into our schools, living out the gospel slowly changing the world around us. Thank you for putting us in this town in the roles that you have so that we can influence the world. Help us do it with love, with tenderness, and with patience, trusting that you are God and we are not. You are the master gardener at work. Would you help us believe this in our lives and believe it for the world around us? In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we are going to take communion together. Uh, and if, if you're, you're new here or you haven't been here before when we've taken communion, it's for everyone. If, if you are following Jesus, you know that Jesus is Lord. The communion table obviously is for you to come and take part in that. Uh, we've put it up front today, so you can, I would say come up the middle and go around the sides. There are little ramps up here that I've hideously labeled with white tape so that you don't trip on them. Just please know that they're there. Um, To me, it's fascinating that, that Jesus said a couple different things in his ministry. The one was that he was encouraging his disciples, I believe, about himself and about them to say that unless a seed falls to the ground and dies itself, it can't produce more seeds. It can't produce more fruit. I think he was talking about himself, indicating that he was the seed that would become and find himself on a tree perishing and more seeds would be sent out into the world to become gospel trees of the kingdom. And as I was thinking about this, I was remembering that 
As much as we want things to be fast and dynamic and big and loud and all these productions, Jesus picked 12 guys, 12 people, to change the world. One of them tried to kill him. One of them betrayed him. Like, this is what slow gospel kingdom transformation looks like. And so when we gather at the table today, we are remembering that the body of Jesus, the bread of God given to us, broken on our behalf so that we can have full life. The, the blood of Jesus poured out for the forgiveness of sins, the gospel says, so that we can have full life, so that we can experience the gospel inside of us changing the world around us. So uh, these guys are going to kind of play quietly behind me here for a couple minutes. Um, I would ask that you would, uh, why don't you stand up, stretch a little bit. And when you're ready, I would ask that you would just kind of move in here. You can go around, whatever you want to do. Just come up front to take the bread, take the juice, and maybe imagine that you are, you are consuming the gospel in such a way that it's changing you and that it changes us as we go out into the world. And then we're all kind of finished. We're going to sing Revelation song again. So feel free to come and take part in communion with me. The image that John is painting for us there is of the risen King Jesus who was buried in the earth, mixed in, came and mixed into the earth. And three days later, his disciples come to find him and they find that the tomb was empty, showing that new creation had begun, that Jesus by the Spirit of God, had conquered sin and death. And now he reigns victoriously. So this image that that John sees in the book of Revelation is not some just made-up dream. It is the glory of the risen Jesus who sits on the throne now. The Apostle Paul says that, that we find his tomb just as empty today, and the power of the Spirit that raised him from the dead now lives inside of us influencing us, changing us, making us people of hope, people of the gospel who then get to go out into the world, living as seeds that, are, that allow our egos to be killed over and over again, to become servants for people and die to self over and over again and build the kingdom one person at a time, one community at a time, and we change the world. This is what the history of the church has been that we celebrate today. Friends, my prayer is that you would go from here living as people who are allowing the gospel to shape you and in turn to shape the world around you. I pray that it be the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great day.